imported from Connecticut Just in time for fall How much fun is a lot more fun Not much fun at all What with all the handsome grandsons In these rock band magazines And what have they done with the fat ones The balls and the goatees Strange victory Strange victory Strange victory Strange defeat Welcome to episode number 133 of the Betty Up Podcast. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better yet, it's a long-form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence, talking about writing, and talking about being around. My, oh my, here's a good set of covers we can all hide underneath while the world tries to see how... It can cannibalize itself the quickest. It's getting nasty out there, Bubba's. Stay angry, but give yourselves a break from the timelines. We got new music from David Berman. My goodness, first time in 10 years. And not only is it new, it's good. Purple Mountains record came out on Friday better than I was prepared for. Dropped me back into a silver juice hole. Maybe I could interview him. But let's not lose sight of things. Here, we got Jeremy Bolm of Touche More and Hesitation Wounds on the show this week. But before we get there, let me say, this past week has been one for the ages. Our compilation, All of God's Money, a tribute to Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, dropped last week. We've raised... Over $2,000 for the AIDS Foundation of Chicago. We had an incredible launch day. Downloads are continuing to come in over at betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. Thank you to everyone who has picked up a download already. If you haven't yet, get on over there. This comp, I'm so proud of the thing. And you can completely remove my part in it, and I'm still proud of it. All of my friends turned in amazing performances. Laura Stevenson, Meat Wave, Rat Boys, Adult Mom, Mikey Erg, many, many more covering a record that you don't even have to be a Wilco fan. We made it for all of you. Go check it out on our Bandcamp page, bettyetpodcast.bandcamp.com. There were a couple late developments on the compilation front that didn't make it to air for last week's episode of the podcast. One that really feels worth bringing up is that I received word back from the band, Wilco, who I reached out to to see if they would be willing to waive their licensing fee for the money that we take in on this compilation. And their management got back to me saying, yes, of course. And that Jeff Tweedy heard some of the songs and he liked them which just tickled me. This guy, this guy's like Paul McCartney to me. Uh, Save from being a member of The Replacements, there aren't too many held in higher esteem 
than Jeff Tweedy. So having a thing that I was able to give back to him is really special. This whole thing has just been something else. I tell you what, I just been taking a lot of good in amidst still a chaotic time in my life. I haven't really talked about this much uh, the past few weeks on the show, but yeah, this ongoing health shit that I'm dealing with. I started physical therapy. Uh, I'm seeing a chiropractor because the thing that happens when your stomach muscles aren't working anymore is that you throw your back out kind of often. So my life, it's just, it's work and it's appointments right now. And I'm still, still just gaining energy back. I still just get tired a lot. Um, All that's to say, we're going to take next week off. We're going to rest up. We still got uh, plenty of interviews going on next week, but take a little bit of time to recharge. We'll come back again in two weeks. Thank you all for being patient. But this week, hey, we're sponsored this week by Gold Flake Paint, our friend Tom Johnson, who has moved one of the best music websites into a physical form. And here we are, the stunning physical journal holding true to Tom's form of in-depth music writing from the heart across more than 100 pages it presents a space for music consumption and curation away from the incessant buzz of the internet via a series of conversations recommendations and personal essays so far the journal has spoken with the likes of mitski sharon van etten big thief jamila woods lucy dacus phoebe bridgers laura stevenson david bazan charlie bliss the Mountain Goats, and so many more. It's available online and in select stores. There will be four issues of a music journal, which I think uh, defines it as a quarterly. Uh, Four issues in 2019. uh, Available to buy as a standalone copy or as a full subscription. For more information, head to goldflakepaint.co.uk or the Goldflake Paint Bandcamp store, goldflakepaint.co.uk dot bandcamp.com slash merch use a discount code better yet pod for 10 percent off any order that's better yet pod all one word and while we're here let's talk about patreon patreon is a way for you to help support this show by pledging a monthly amount in exchange for bonus content including playlists original programming exclusive to patreon And once in a while, just drop an interview in there early. We've also got postcards, a coffee subscription, all available over at patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. All right. My guest this week is Jeremy Baum of Touche More and Hesitation Wounds, both bands having some news to share since Jeremy and I talked back in June. But the first time Jeremy and I talked was on an episode of As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. Jeremy, that show's first and only guest, chose Queen of Pain. We had a lovely chat. Afterwards, I asked him what's going on with Touche, and he said, gonna start writing a new record. And I remember that as a year has come to pass, and Touche was back in Chicago for the first time since then, not with a new record, but on the 10-year anniversary tour of their debut to the beat of a dead horse. I kept that in the back of my mind as I was getting ready for this interview, not just based on the comment, but because of the fact that the last Touche Amore record, 2016 Stage 4, was about 
Jeremy's mom, who passed away after battling cancer, stage four was such a monumentally heavy record, and I couldn't help but ask the question, how do you follow it? Which turned out to be a question that was weighing on Jeremy as well. They're in an intriguing spot. Touche is, you're four records in, more than 10 years as a band. What's the next step to take? How do you move forward in a way where you continue to push yourself? So, we got into that and so much more. There's a heaviness in here, but Jeremy is also a great talker with a great mind, one that we've had a little bit of insight into already when we talked to Elliot Babin last summer and when Christina from Gadgetway was here. Jeremy, of course, produced Burnt Sugar. Feel like we've been building up to this one. I'm glad to be here with it. So let's get to it, but we'll start with the song. This is New Halloween, followed by my interview with Jeremy Baum. on the air so that to make sure that she hears my kid sister super fan oh of yours and touche and i think that i've done how many of these episodes and this is maybe the first one where i'm like yo what's up like what i do is legit right so that's that's very flattering (laughs) i wanted to ask you though because i saw you post about it on instagram but yeah have you have you uh taken a dive into that national record because your post was like i can't wait to like yeah. Go deep on this one. Right. So, uh, do you know Dan Ozzy? You know yeah. Dan Ozzy. Yeah. So, uh, about a month before that record came out, The National played at uh, this pretty, for them, intimate venue in um, Los Angeles called The Orpheum. It's yeah. just like a seated, whatever. Very so, nice. they did the thing where they played the short, the short film that the album is based off of. So good. And then did a Q&A with Mike Mills, the director. Mm-hmm. Um the actress whose name I don't know if I can pronounce is Alicia. She was Tomb Raider. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, then Matt and Aaron from the band. Um, and there was just like, they talk about everything. And then they pretty much played the album in full. That's awesome. And that, and I hadn't, I feel like the National is a band. I think there's a lot, I think this is a case for a lot of people, but they're a band that 
where they have an album coming out, I don't really like to listen to the singles because I Me feel either. like yeah. I feel like in the grand scheme, the out the, the the placement of the songs in the album just they make more sense when you hear them that way. Yeah, I I agree. So yeah, they they played the record in full, and I was excited that that was going to be my first experience hearing it, and then also having them just kind of talk in depth about it gave me a new perspective. Now, had I heard the had I only heard the record blind, not watched the short, I don't know if I'd be as warm to it. Yeah. I like there are songs that I really, really like. Like Not in Kansas, one of the oh, best man. songs I've mm-hmm. heard in forever. The lyrics fucking insane. Um but there's a few tracks that like take her take her to leave it. Yeah. Do you it's, feel the same way? It's a it's a double album, so you you feel like you get to a certain point where it's like, all right, we could we could have thirteen of these and not sixteen of these. True. But yeah, when I heard it, I was home sick, and so anything that I was kind of taking in, I was like, all right, I got to put everything, everything into here. Into yeah, so yeah. I yeah, like I think I listened to it the first time and had a similar reaction to you, where it's like, oh, I can't wait until I'm like able to grasp what's going on here, totally. and then you realize that God, they just build so much on that thing and then by the seventh eighth ninth track it's like oh these are where all the freaking like hooks are all the gems right 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 it's it's fascinating to me that their now longest album too is from a short film you know it's like you took that much it's just it's it's wild, but it's also impressive that they they hired Mike Mills to be the producer on the album, right? All of that sort of stuff. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to it. Um, watching the film definitely made things resonate more. Like I understood aspects of it, um, but then there's a few songs on the record that you could tell aren't really correlated to the short. Like not in Kansas, I don't right. think it has anything to do with it, or Ryland, which is a song they've had for seven years, years I think and they years. Said. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 interesting. I think you know the a band like of that ilk where I think Sleep Well Beast, it's like, I love this band, but I'm kind of ready to write them off. That record didn't really do much for me. But then having them come back, it was like, oh, hell yeah. You still got it. You know, it's interesting. I liked Sleep Well Beast, but I, you know, it's not my favorite by any means like that. And it's one of those things where when I think about it, I'm like, man, did I really give that record a chance? But then I'll listen to it and I'll be like, oh, I know every song on this record. So I do know this record Uh really well. It's just, just, I don't. I don't think it just it makes you sometimes wonder like uh is it me or is it them? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like I think you have, a, that you have a long-term relationship with a yes. band, you kind of you get to that point I think with a lot of them. Right. Like uh I I'm Converge is like my favorite hardcore band of all yeah. time. But even their last record I was like I it didn't it didn't hit me as much as as previous records. There's songs I really like on it, but that I had the same sort of relationship with that record that I did with Sleep Well Beast where I'm like, is it me or is it the record? Right. Like, had I heard this six years ago, would I be as obsessed with this as I would have, you know, whatever. Absolutely. That kind of thing. Absolutely. So, but uh, Trouble Will Find Me, High Violet, Boxer, oh. Alligator. Yeah. All day. Yeah. So where, where did you grow up? You grew up in Los Angeles? Burbank, California. Burbank. Yeah, which is okay. which is LA. Okay. But, are you yeah. are you um so do you still live in, in that part of the city? I moved so far from Burbank. I'm in oh, Glen, okay. I'm in Glendale now, which is like four minutes away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I moved a, I moved a whole yeah, uh like 
I, I think my zip code changed like three numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's very close. Are your are your folks from there? Your mom's from my mom. Uh, my mom was from uh, Nebraska uh-huh. originally, um, and then uh, yeah, my father, California. Yeah, how did yeah. they meet? Um, through working together. Yeah, uh, at a post production house because if you grow like so uh-huh. burbank is like the media city capital of the right. world right right everyone rightfully so feels that hollywood is like oh man come to hollywood it's where all the uh-huh. it's where all the action is it's where all the movie studios are it's right. where all the tv it's like no it's all burbank which is right over the hill from hollywood uh-huh. um so you were in the heart of it you're, i was in the heart of it you're yeah. in the place that people dream about yeah but it's <laughs> it's weird so three of us are from burbank right uh clayton tyler and myself and it's a very weird place to grow up because yeah. if you live there, there's a strong chance that your family in one, one capacity or another is involved in the entertainment industry, whether mm-hmm. you're it's working post-production or working at this or that, you know what I'm saying? Like you're someone is in it, which makes your parent, at least one of your parents, like probably not very around because it's sure. a very time consuming, stressful job. So, uh, my, my f- folks got a divorce, uh, while my mom was still pregnant with me. So, oh, wow. so, but my dad was always friends with my mom and uh-huh. always has, they maintained a great relationship, which is wonderful. But my dad has been in post-production since God, the eighties probably. Right. Um, so, so like most of his work nights are just like, he's, he's there until four. He'll literally right? go into work on Friday and not come home until Sunday. Wow. Like he's the most workaholic guy yeah of all time and and so it's just interesting like you grow i think there's this idea that like if you're surrounded by if you grow up in that town like oh man yeah like it's so cool like you're it's just like in a way i feel like burbank is very devoid of culture Uh because you're sort of just swimming in media right like you're not all like but it's it's like it's not rooted culture it's like whatever is coming it's making it work but it's not you're not getting anything from it Interesting. Um, Do you have siblings? I have an older brother. Okay. A year and a yeah. half to the day. Uh, it's interesting. I met Henry Rollins at a Starbucks in Burbank a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And, you know, Starbucks at like nine o'clock at night are, it's like, a, it's a ghost town. It's like, they're yeah, sure. about to close. It's, you know, there's usually like one or two people on their laptop or whatever. Um, I went in there late. It was the one next to uh, my mother's house. And I was friendly with the staff because I was there all the time. And so I'm like chatting it up with the, with the, uh, with the employee behind the counter and you, you do the thing where you notice in your peripheral, like, oh, someone's in, in line behind me now. And I'm making this person wait by having this dumb conversation. So I'm going to wrap up this conversation and move along. Uh I didn't notice who it was. So I went, I'm waiting for my drink and I look over and I'm like, "Mm, it's Henry Rollins. It's like, okay. So of course uh, he's in your periphery. You can't like stand in a room with that guy (laughs) and not have him in your periphery. So I go and I'm like waiting for my drink <clears throat> and uh, just kind of now being like, ah, oh, shit, you know, and I'm wearing right. a jean jacket that has I, a self-made Leonard Cohen back patch on it. Right. Uh-huh. So he comes and he's standing next to me now waiting for his drink and and uh, he has a backpack with him. Do you full- know what he what, what was he drinking, by the way? Can I just I didn't. Ask? I'm assuming okay. just a black coffee. OK, you okay. would hope yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black flag. Um, <laughs> so so uh, he. He opens up, you know, I'm like, of course, like, I can't not just like, I'm, I'm literally at six inches from him. And, uh, he has a text, a backpack full of textbooks. 
Okay. Uh-huh. So it's like he's going there to study or something like that. So I'm standing next to him and like I know he can feel my energy that like I need to say something, but I don't want to bug him. So I end up the best I came up with, I was like, hey man, I don't want to bother you, but I just want to I think I said something along the lines of like I appreciate your presence uh towards civilians, like normals, to where I think that you've been a great um how do I even say it? Like basically like You've shown normals that being so rooted in subculture and punk rock that like we're not just like brain dead fuck ups. Yeah. Like that you're an intelligent person who's really like helped us have a better identity towards normals. Something like that. I appreciate that you're still doing homework. Right. All these years later. Exactly. Uh And he was like, he's like, oh, you know, he was very sweet. He was very kind. Oh, that's really nice. And then he was like, hey, I noticed your Leonard Cohen backpatch. That's not something you see every day. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, then he told me a story about how he met Leonard Cohen. Oh, man. And when, so when I meet celebrities or or whatever that I'm like a fan of, I have an instant countdown clock in my uh-huh. head on how much time I'm going to take of theirs. Yeah, yeah. So it it starts with about eight seconds of me just saying my piece and ready to walk away. And if they You're enga- getting good. You're getting good. If they engage, uh-huh. I add another 10 seconds on that clock. Yeah. I'm the whole time. I'm just like, I'm looking to leave <laughs> because I don't want to bother anybody. Right, right? exactly. Because so, you assume that they're probably looking to leave the moment. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I just don't, I just don't want to bother anybody. So like, uh, he he continued. It was very sweet. But then I I hit him. I said, "What are you doing in Burbank?" Uh huh. Oh, I was like, "I'm just curious. I'm from here." And he goes, "You're from here?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "He's like Burbank is an anomaly." He was yeah. like, "I can come here, and no one knows who I am or cares who I am." He was just like, "It's a very..." And I was like, "Well, sorry for fucking breaking that yeah, thing." Yeah, sure. But he laughed. He was just like, and then we had a conversation about growing up there, and he was just like, "Yeah, Burbank like is such a strange place because." I remember going, I mean, in high school, like there was no, I was, it was me and like two of our friends who wore like Marilyn Manson shirts and were sure. like yeah. those kids. But like, there was no, everyone was like just a jock or trying to be popular in high school. You know what I'm saying? Like there uh-huh. was no, but now it's funny. I'll be in Burbank and I'll just see a kid with like colored hair. Like where, where were you? Yeah. Like, where were you? I could have yeah. used you. Could have used you. Yeah. yeah. But now they're, cause they're, t- they're taken from, cause now we've got this like, you know, uh, the time that you were in high school and, and yeah. wearing Marilyn Manson and stuff like that, now it's become back into yes. at least like the style. It's, it's not necessarily the Marilyn Manson print that you wear, right, but it's right, the right. shirt size the and the pants. And so, how do yeah. you how do you remember? Do you remember getting into music like when you were younger? Was it in the house when you were growing up? Uh, wasn't really in the house. My my mom either liked uh country music or elvis uh-huh. uh, i still don't like or care about elvis at all yeah um, same but uh she liked a lot of like the modern country but also some of the older stuff you know she grew up on the older stuff so like i hated country music all my life because i was like it's ah, stupid it's, it's, yeah. yeah and and but then I, of course as i got older i found johnny cash and merle haggard and mm-hmm. patsy klein and all that stuff and i was like oh this reminds me of growing up because i remember hearing these songs but at the time though my mom loved like travis tritt and george Strait and yeah. like all the like big 90s people that mm-hmm. i couldn't what are you gonna to grasp it so so where does like the uh i guess what's the one that like reaches out to you or how do you f- you know find something that makes you say oh pearl jam nirvana yeah so uh I was gravitated towards music pretty young, but, um, like I, I loved like, you know, uh, 
all the stuff that the kids liked at, at, when they were really young, so like Michael Jackson and stuff like that. Like yeah. seeing the bad music video and, and all that stuff as a kid, um, Thriller, all of that. But then um, it was seeing the Pearl Jam video for Even Flow, where it falls off, where the, it jumps yep, off the balcony. Yep. I remember having that moment being like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like that, like just being so mesmerized by like, I think even though I wasn't an only child, I think it was sort of like the, like, wow, look at all the attention that guy's getting. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, uh-huh. like, wow, like that's so cool. Like, um, it just and, doesn't happen in, you know, any other form. No, no. So I was eight when 10 came out, 91. Yeah. So, uh, I bought 10 at the warehouse music up the street on cassette. And then just, and then of course, never mind, And just, became so obsessed with music so obsessed and uh, how old are you i'm 32 32 okay we're kind of we're a little bit older than sure some of these other ones but we're not at this point i'm 36 (laughs) so uh there i mean the my favorite years of of like music and mtv were like 93 to 95 i mean like you turn on the tv and like all you're getting is like green day basket case and like you know just like uh, just every music video was so good uh-huh. and Lemonheads and like early Radiohead and like every, everything uh, music was so fucking good like yeah. 91 to 95 like um you know you hear younger people be like oh yeah the 90s were great in sync i'm like get the fuck out of here uh-huh. no 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 yeah. it was like the bush fucking glycerin video yeah um but uh <laughs> but yeah so like i just became so obsessed with music and and then i started playing guitar uh, in sixth grade, um, was lousy at it. Played guitar in bands forever, but like, yeah. And then Touche is the only band I've ever sang in. But uh, yeah, I just you know started do the thing in junior high where you're like, we're gonna start a band with my friends, and like no one really can play their instruments very well. But right, we you just kind of go over to to hang out and and play for a little bit and yeah, attempt to and play. B- like most, mostly yeah. drink Mountain Dew and like right. and skateboard. Right. So I guess like when did you when did you find yourself like getting into you know the the next steps into like subculture and okay. punk and so I you've got like a completist air to you. So sure. I guess when does it become more of like a uh, thing mm-hmm. like like my end all be all? So, yes. Uh, I somehow became a huge metalhead. I think it was well. Actually, I know. I not even somehow. I know how. So like, was you were freaking. You were ripe for it. That, right, that right, shit right. that was coming out in the. So the black mm-hmm. album came out. Yeah. And Inner Sandman was inescapable. So, uh, I was friends with like I was I looked different than all my friends because I have this I have this like just matted brown curly hair uh-huh. and all my friends had long blonde hair with what I call the Pantera, which is like the shave underneath, but yep. the, with the ponytail. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? You know yeah, that, yeah. that sick 90s hairstyle? Um, so all my friends were just like into Metallica and Megadeth and, mm-hmm. and all of that. So I fell into that and I loved it. And I was a metalhead uh, all through all through junior high. Uh, but it's funny. I always say like junior high is like when you're allowed to be a poser. So like... So like I would wear a Nirvana shirt one day, and then like a Dan Kennedy shirt the next day, yeah. And then I wear yeah a Slayer you don't shirt. Know. Or you, yeah, yeah, right. You're allowed to be a poser. You're allowed uh-huh. to like everything. Uh, but you I just hon- like music, and that's, yeah, that's it. I honed in on metal though in junior or late junior high, 
found Marilyn Manson, loved Marilyn Manson. Like, mm-hmm. Portrait of an American Family is still, like, the scariest album to me of all time. Yeah. Does that shit hold up? Yes. I, I, was I, not think a, so. I was not a metal person, but. <laughs> right. So, uh, I still write hard for the first couple Manson records up through Antichrist, uh, up through Mechanical Animals, but um, it just hit me. You know, I was like, yeah. it was scary. It upset my parents. Uh, it upset every, it upset, it upset the world. Mm-hmm. So of course I was there for it. Nine Inch Nails, all that stuff. So like, it's wild. Like the you know back in in that, in that time when someone could uh, write a record that you know upset America so mm-hmm. much. It's it's just not a thing that happens anymore. At least I don't think it's like. Right their you know celebrity could upset people right. but it's not like the song that does anything oh, it's not anymore. the song yeah. yeah the closest thing that i think we've come to marilyn manson again is lady gaga yeah because she freaked out parents right that's as close but as it's more got. like she was like drunk in a mets game that's like what really <laughs> right true true <laughs> um but i think just like her you know her obviously like her appearance and yeah. her and her like wearing a meat suit to a fucking <laughs> award ceremony or whatever that was but like uh yeah, so so I gravitate towards all that stuff, but to find punk rock though, so I I got because I was a metalhead. I bought the Ozfest '96 VHS cassette, uh huh, which had a lot of my favorite bands at the time. I had Sepultura, I had Fear Factory, I had Slayer, I had uh uh just all I forget who's all on it, but um Neurosis was on it. Oh wow, uh, yeah. But it had Earth Crisis on it. Because Earth Crisis played that year. There you go. And I remember watching the Earth Crisis song and being like, wait a minute, this band is heavier than all of this stuff. There's no gimmick to them. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just wearing, like, camo pants. And why are their hands X'd? What's this about? Right. right? So I so they play the song Broken Foundation on that Ozfest, mm-hmm. it, which... Uh, which is on which is uh, on the record Gamora Season Ends. So I bought Gamora Season Ends on CD. But it's funny, the same day I bought Gamora Season Ends, I bought Butchered at Birth from Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> and I remember listening to both and being like, I don't know that I'm connecting with this Cannibal Corpse record. Like, it's just, it's too far. Or, yeah, right. It's, it's, and I always wonder wow, what, what a, my life... What a, what a world, you know, road less taken right. s- what, situation. What right. would my life have been had I connected with the Cannibal Corpse record more? Uh, it would have been a lot a lot more, like, kind of just, I don't know. I'll tell you right now, I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sitting in this seat. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you um, could, that could be a positive or a negative, yeah, however yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to take it. But yeah, you, you find a band like Earth Crisis, and it's not only is this band, like, heavy and, and fucking awesome, but there's this whole lifestyle attached yes. to it yes so at that point i had never tried drugs i had never drank and that's the era when all your friends are like sipping off their parents booze and yeah. and smoking weed out of apples and uh-huh. you know shit like that so like i just always like my my mom asked me not to do it and i got along with my mom and i didn't want to disappoint her so i was always kind of just like the scared kid being like no i'm good yeah so i never did anything so then here comes this band that that's their whole thing and i was like wait a minute i can just claim this and then people can get off my back about it or like so i thought you know right sure so my best friend at the time uh who's still a good friend uh this kid zach he uh who was in my band through high school and everything like that we were like let's do this thing yeah so we claimed straight edge not having any idea where it came from didn't know about minor threat yet you Mm -hmm. know all of this stuff uh so it was typical 90s shit you've probably heard this a million times you've lived this too where 
I bought the Earth Crisis CD, saw it was on Victory Records, was like, there it is. Yeah, let me get well, the catalog. I guess right. I'm going to buy the Strife CD. I'm going to buy the Snapcase CD. I'm going to buy this Dead Guy CD. And then off I went. Yeah. You know, wow. and there, there was, I didn't realize at the time, but there was like, there was, there was already a couple of hardcore bands that I was listening to. Uh huh. Because just, I did the Roadrunner right. Records thing. So, like, oh, okay, yeah. Vision of Disorder was the first hardcore album that I ever bought. Mm-hmm. Their first record with the Green Drop, because it was on Roadrunner and I bought it and I fucking loved it. I, to this day, I know every word of that record. Like, it's my one of my favorite albums of all time. But, like, so I realized I was like, oh, I'm already kind of like yeah. adjacent to a lot of this stuff. So it all just, yeah, it yeah. started from there. That was how I found hardcore and then started to sort of i mean i still like metal in, uh-huh. in, in certain things and I, all those records i grew up on i still have an affinity for but yeah it was hardcore and kind of all the like sub headings of of hardcore mm-hmm. um so you ha- you talked about a, a couple you know bands that you were playing with i read about thriller when was when was thriller so my band in high school was called stricken which is uh-huh. a perfect high school band yeah it was so bad so <laughs> stupid and uh so after that ended we be or basically it was the same more or less the same members and then we got a different singer and we're like well let's change the band name and yeah you know whatever so we changed it to thriller uh-huh and uh we that was the era of music which is something that you know i've been saying it would never happen again but now i think we're actually getting to the point where it might happen again where i feel like there was an era where myspace dictated whether you could be successful without an record contract yeah so like we thought hey we get i don't i couldn't even tell you how many play at the time it's like i think we were like we get 2500 plays a day That's we should tour good. yeah yeah we we have the right to tour uh-huh which is not true <laughs> at all uh but it was easy to book tours on myspace because you just you just know, you got followers you. and you'd uh-huh. be like, hey, like, can you get us a show here? So, like, we did a couple tours um, where all of my best tour stories of the worst shit that's ever happened uh-huh. came from that. So I'm very thankful for it. It was you got, like, you got all that shit out of the way. You, you it was found... tour boot camp. Right. Like every wrong thing to do yes. was done. Yes. So I'm so thankful for that era. Because I have these stories with my friends that are fucked up. But on top of that, I was able to start Touche with like this whole realm of knowledge of like the do's and don'ts of a band. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, we, I mean, like we bought a van off of like an old van off of like a gardener for like nine hundred dollars and uh-huh. just drove that thing into the ground. Like it had no air conditioning. No, you know, all of the stuff that right. every t- first band's tour should be, you know, mm-hmm. we slept in houses it ended up being meth labs we stepped you know like everything that you can imagine yeah whatever uh so i left that band because we had a really had a really bad exit with that band we're like we weren't getting it was pretty much like it felt like it was them against me and that type of nonsense and then uh i got home left the band and then started touche like six months later so how does that happen you meet so I worked at a record store. Uh huh. I decided to work at a record store instead of going to college. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. I I graduated high school, whatever, in like June of two thousand one, and then it was like the the first weekend of summer vacation was uh-huh. my first day at the record store. I love it. And I worked there until two thousand five. Okay. 
and developed tons of friendships through there, whatever. So Clayton, I met when he was like 11, uh-huh. 12. Wow. Going in the store because I'm older than everybody else in Touche, like by five years. Yeah. So I met him as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Nick, uh, his his high school band played with Thriller. And he would come into the shop and whatever as a younger younger person. He's a couple years on Clayton, or two years on Clayton, I think. Three years on Clayton. Um, it's nice that you're in the position of being able to weed people out because yes. you're like, oh, I like that you're buying these <laughs> records. Yeah. Like, I definitely, you know, I, I watched Clayton's whole, like, musical growth you know you watch him saying? go like, from you know his yeah. marilyn manson into yeah i mean when he first started going to the shop he loved weezer he still loves weezer but like he was like into weezer forgivable and the, yeah and yeah. the strokes uh-huh and stuff like that and then eventually it was like you know he started buying locust cds and yes. then he found the blood brothers and then mm-hmm. he found converge and then he you know it's like he got into more aggressive stuff um and tyler our bass player was his childhood best friend so they've known each other forever mm-hmm. um and then, uh, yeah, so the uh, I knew everyone. They're all very Burbanky people. Uh-huh. And then our original guitar player, Tyson, uh, I had met through, like, we we both uh, dated women from Louisiana that ended up being best friends. It was, like, this whole weird thing. Uh-huh. And we always knew about each other but never met. And then yeah. we randomly met at a party. And it was like, are you Tyson White? It's like, are uh-huh. you Jeremy Baum? It's like, do you want to go talk about Louisiana on the front porch? <laughs> and just instantly became... Really, really close friends. Yeah. And uh, he'd never played guitar through an amp before. Like, he just, like, wow. he he just always fucked around on an acoustic that his roommate had. And I'd hear him play stuff, and I'd be like, that's really cool. And he'd be like, yeah. So I was like, do you want to start a band? Uh-huh. And he was like, I, so he just used all of my stuff that I used for Thriller, playing guitar. Wow. And got the good, the kid Z, who was the original drummer, who I had just known for a long time, and then clayton and nick and we started jamming and so what was you mentioned you know like kind of the the path of locust and to blood brothers and all that were those types of bands kind of the common thread for all of it uh so so i started the band being like i want to do like a screamo-y band like i wanted to do a band like page 99 Uh or whatever like something so far removed so because thriller thriller was sort of like a every time i die e bronx sort of that was the time yeah exactly and um i liked playing that stuff but it it, like it didn't it was just because it was with my friends that i've been doing forever like it wasn't necessarily like who i was at that time it's kind of like everybody's influencing everybody into you know something that's close to everybody's tastes but you but you're like all right Page 99, yes. Seisha, like Seisha, that Orchid, shit. all that uh-huh. stuff. Like, I love all of this stuff. And Clayton had got into all of that stuff. Z, our original drummer, liked that stuff. Uh, Nick was just down to play bass. Uh, yeah. N- Nick's, Nick's alt life was like AFI and the Nerve Asians and stuff like that. But like, if he can is, play bass, yeah. he can play bass for exactly. this. Exactly. Tyson, yeah. our original guitar player, loved all that screamo stuff. So uh, what happened was we went in trying to write stuff like that. But I think the hardcore kids in us also took a pretty big precedent so it was like kind of the mix of both of them when we started writing songs right because none of those bands have like you know kind of the hooks that touche has or like the shout along parts but sure it's that it's that type of energy and i i really have always liked what you took from there because me with screamo it's actually like a the beginning of a blossoming relationship i never liked that stuff sure until 
David wrote about the Seisha record last year. Right. And I was like, all right, I, somebody showed me this. I fucking hated it, but let me try again. And yeah. it's like, oh, I like so much of what's going on here. And by the end of it, I like the vocals too. Right. And Which are that, the hardest part to digest with Seisha specifically. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but it, it, it's wild to me, you know, to look at the early history of Touche and you put this thing together and then it's like 2008, the demo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dead Horse the next year yeah. that you know Jeff helps put out Rick Lee right. Jeff yes. helps put out appears on a and song. then you tour with Thursday right like holy shit yeah that's such an insane yeah. thing to happen and so I had befriended uh, Thursday and like because I made a fan website for them yes in 2000 I love that yeah in 2001 I literally had like Paris and Flames that CJB.net one of those things Fuck, yeah and uh and so they came on their first West Coast tour and it was opening for the Murder City Devils uh-huh. and American Steel and it's I'm, so funny to think about right yeah and uh they played first of three and I met them at the merch table and I was like hey I'm a fan. like hey and I was like I do that website and they're like that's you uh-huh and uh just started a beautiful relationship from there so I had been sending Jeff all my bands all my life you yeah know, whatever and he was always like yeah cool uh-huh and, understandably and then and then when i sent him the touche demo he was he was like stoked on it in yeah. a way that yeah. i was taken back by it he was like this is i i like this a lot that's awesome and i was like oh really uh-huh. like really excited you know and then uh so we did the demo so we, we recorded the demo at the end of like 2007 but i didn't want to play a show Again, like I, all the lessons learned, I was like, I don't want to play a show until we have something recorded and we have, we're like, a, it's a fully realized thing, you know? Yeah. So <clears throat> we didn't play a lot of shows our first year because I wanted to like only play when it was like worth it, you know, like if we were like opening. What are you going to, yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to play yeah. and you're not going to have something to. Yeah. And I wanted to only to ever play shows with like bands that made sense. So like, uh, I saw La Quiete and uh, Phoenix Bodies uh, were like doing a West Coast tour and I like hit them up and was like, I'll do the LA show. I'll do the whatever. So I booked those shows and like, yeah, just so we could play with them. I love that you just got all of this like, oh, we'll play whenever out of your system. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I want to just make sure it only we only play when it matters. And then um, we got on. So we built this buzz around la which was really cool and the bridge nine board was like a big help on that which is funny enough right um and so we got on sound and fury in 2009 Uh and dead uh, dead horse had come out on 6131 which is my best friend joey's label Mm -hmm. so it's funny like i i never would have asked joey to put that out i mean at that point he was putting out cruel hand he was putting out blacklisted a blacklisted seven inch he had done swamp thing like all these cool hardcore records and we had done the demo and then uh, we put that on a No Sleep Records right when he was starting out, mm-hmm. and it was like, I was like, well, I don't know who wants, to, I don't know who should do this LP with, and then Joey was like, I mean, I would put it out, yeah, and I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, why I've not? Just been waiting for you to ask. Yeah. No, 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 I right, would, right. I would have never assumed, like, uh-huh. you know, like. So I was like, well, it's, it's tough to kind of like, I think it's easier to make the like, I've never met you before. Would you like to put this yeah, record out then and to put your friend in that situation? Of, exactly. Do you want to like do this thing that yeah. in like, my mind you're going to lose money on? And and like all my love to Chris Hansen, who does who does No Sleep. But like he had he had just started that 
label. I think we're like number seven or eight or something like that in his yeah, catalog. Yeah, really, really early. And for me, I was like, all we ever wanted was to be on vinyl. Like the, straight up, like from the get-go, the only things that Touche's trajectory ever was, was put as many cool things out on vinyl as possible, play as many cool shows as possible. Those are the only two things we've ever cared about that we still care about today. Yeah. Like that's all like cool art with fun shows right yeah so uh with chris i was like i knew him because he worked in the warehouse at revelation distribution Mm -hmm. and i met him through joey because joey used to work there and i knew he had started this label so i was like hey chris would you put this out on vinyl and he was like okay so i was like yeah we're gonna be on vinyl we're gonna be on vinyl (laughs) uh so yeah we uh we did the dead horse thing got on sound and fury and uh we could not have felt less welcome yeah at sound and fury 2009 like right. we were the fucking kids and tight the screamo clothes, bands yeah tight cl- mm-hmm. i'm wearing a combat wounded veteran shirt like just going up on stage we're playing between like two bands that are probably like terrifying right and we got our set cut short like we went up there we were playing and the and we had an insanely cool reaction kids were singing along and whatever but like yeah like there's a part and if you watch the video of that set there's a part where like i'm doing a no microphone emotional screaming thing uh-huh. and you hear someone just yell use the microphone <laughs> like like could not be more fucking alienated at this thing right but we get off stage trey mccarthy co-owner of death wish walks up to me and he's like hey i'm trey i do death wish uh what's up with you guys yeah and that started that relationship wow he, he, I instantly learned what a great ball buster he was too. He's like, he's like a notorious grump. Like, uh-huh. I, he's one of my best friends now. I love but that. like, he's, he was just like, he, he didn't know that that record had come out on six one three one specifically because it's six one three one slash Jeff's thing. Yeah. Um, but he just thought Jeff put it out. So he comes up to me. He's like, "How do I get your records in our store? Like, I don't want to talk to famous people." <laughs> I was like all right you're funny and i was like well it's on 613 when he's like oh i can get that like, okay yeah so well it's it's funny that you talk about you know being the the odd band on the bill yeah because you know you do have this thing in the first few years of touche where there's also bands like a lot of spute make doing men pianos bands that come from a similar place in terms yeah. of influence who you also do splits with Gravitate all towards. of them yes yeah yeah and when Elliot was here, I was like, who did that? That Who decided to do that? That was smart. And he's like, yeah. that's all Jeremy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Noted. And you're talking about lessons learned with Thriller. And yeah. um, obviously it continues into like Secret Voice and, and Gadgetway and things like that. But you, you just seem to have like a, a learned perspective on how to present your band. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we met all of those bands really it was all just very you know serendipitous or like ended up on a show with one of you know like when i when i did the uh when i because i booked that so our first full u.s tour the first two weeks of it were with thursday playing Mm -hmm. first of four on this tour which was an amazing experience we really learned how to like they showed us the ropes on like everything like they would say shit like clayton mentioned clayton always talks about how like it was the first day of tour and like their tour manager comes up he's like all right when you guys are done setting up just throw your deads over there and we're like Fucker deads. Uh-huh. Like your what empty are cases. Oh, okay. Or like uh-huh. 
all right, that's a real rocker term. <laughs> I don't know that term, but like, all right, cool. Deads. Deads are going over there. All right. You know, just like, yeah, learn the how to where p- the deads go. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. We're like playing rooms we shouldn't be playing, you know, uh-huh. all sorts of stuff. But it was like, you know, and then at the end of that tour, uh, ended ended in Houston. We were with them for like two weeks. And then I booked an entire US starting from Houston all across, you know. And on that, like, we played uh, Charm City Arts Art Space in Baltimore, which was booked by Pianos Become the Teeth, and uh-huh. saw them and were like, "Holy shit!" Yep. And instantly became buds with them. And a lot of that spe- old Pride record, Fuck. fucking mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, a lot of dispute was doing their first West Coast tour, and I booked their LA show. Yeah. And met them in the parking lot as they pulled in, and instantly just clicked. Just were laughing and making jokes, and just like we're like, okay. And it's funny, I admit, like, when I when Chris Hansen had sent me the CD of their first record, the Somewhere record, I listened to it and was like, oh, this is cool. It's like a at-the-drive-in-y, me-without-you sort of thing. Like, yeah, it's all right. Like, I didn't I didn't get it. And then yeah. we saw him play that night, and all of us were just like, oh, oh yeah. I uh-huh. get this now. Uh-huh. And just, you know, it was a beautiful relationship blossom. It was actually in Chicago where we first had the idea of doing that split. We were playing the venue Summer Camp. Oh, yeah. Which was that sure. basement venue. Right up the street. Mm-hmm. It was uh, us, Law Dispute, Into It, Over It, and Former Thieves. Uh-huh. And Jordan and I were sitting on the porch of that house and shot out the idea. It was like, we should do like a split, but like sing on each other's songs and stuff like that. And it was just like, yeah, we should do that. Like, yeah. be really fucking cool. And then they were on No Sleep Still. We had a relationship with Chris. We're like think we get chris to pay for it it's like yeah let's get chris to pay for it uh-huh so he he was nice enough to put that out uh yeah it was just everyone of those things just kind of all fell into place beautifully and again like like i said like all we ever cared about was putting out stuff on vinyl right playing cool shows so for us we we're like let's crank out as many seven inches and splits and whatever as possible so that's you know especially in those first five six years like we put out so much stuff mm-hmm. you know it's interesting to pull back on it a little bit and you see how the association of all of you together putting out records a few years down the line, people are using terms like, you know, the new wave of post hardcore and Mm -hmm. it it codifies it in that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, not necessarily to say that you have the foresight of like, Oh, this is what's going to, we're going to benefit from all this in five, six years, but there's some intuition in there. Right. Um, the ter- it's funny because the term the, we we got we all got attached to the term the wave right, right? which uh-huh. we, which was uh, a an inside joke gone bad, uh, <laughs> where where it was like the five of us us defeater uh, make do pianos a lot of speed we were like we all just had become such good friends we all were very like you know touring with each other nonstop playing shows with each other nonstop singing on each other's things nonstop whatever. And we were like, we we're like, yo, we should just like have it be our club, like call it, call it like our, it's like our gang, uh-huh. right? But like not publicize it, right? Like just like it's like, it's like yeah, and and some it came from I think like Mike Poulin who was uh in both Defeater and Make Doing Men, like drunkenly being like, yo, let's call it the wave, <laughs> and we just thought it was so ridiculous. <laughs> so uh, we we're like, yeah, for sure, and then it just like once. Once, like, one press outlet caught wind of it, it was like, well, now they're naming now. it. Now, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. And we were like, no! Like, the we're next not, Brat Pack. Yeah, we're uh-huh. like, no, we're not. We don't think, cause, because as soon as that, as soon as it no longer is ours, then people took it as like, oh, they think they're 
separated than ever from everybody. Because to us, we were like, if this was really a thing, it would include Title Fight, Tiger Shaw, sure. all of the other adjacent bands that balance and composure, like all of us. We're all in this together. We uh-huh. all came up at the same time. You know, yeah. So it would be more. It would be. It wouldn't be as exclusive. You know, that's what I'm why. Saying? That's why you did the title fight split a few years later, right? Because you. you yeah, I wanted to bring them yeah. in. <laughs> no. Um. You know, listening back, it's um. Dead horse. Like your your writing is is really desperate and evocative, and it's. I'm glad that you said you know where where it came from of what you know what you want to do because it totally reminds me of that page sure. thirty nine and yeah um. It feels like, you know, after that, there's a shift on parting the sea and is survived by, you know, songs like to write content, you know, where it's it's like self-aware and it's yeah. kind of processing, yeah, w- the space that you're in. And um, I guess I'm I'm interested in that because it's, you know you write what's on your mind, right? Yeah. But are you thinking about are you thinking about how to process it in a way that's also going to work for an audience i it's funny uh and I'm, I'm not i'm only pointing this out because it might help explain that song a little more it's yeah. to write content uh-huh right like to write content there you go be, all right be, and that was because there's a there's a break in the song where i tell the story i met andy hull from manchester orchestra backstage at a show in new york uh-huh and we had and we because there he was uh he produced the O brother records and we were on tour with O brother at the time and yeah. i was a huge manchester fan they introduced me to him i was super excited and we were talking and they were starting to write a record we were starting to write is survived by and i was in a really great place in my life where i was like uh i found the found the woman that i love uh band was doing way beyond any of our expectations i'm on my favorite record label i'm touring with bands that i love like what there's nothing wrong in my life right now yeah. like what do i have to sing about right uh-huh. now like i was feeling great and andy was saying the same shit he was like dude i'm in the same boat like like i know and then he looked at me it's like it's like this this is the death nail of creativity is happiness and he looks me square in the eye and he was like it's hard to write content Uh uh-huh and that's where that came from i like that a lot and i was like and and so i'm sitting there with writer's block being like i don't know what to write about i'm gonna write about that fucking conversation Uh i'm gonna write about this whole thing so that's what that song and to be honest with you it survived by to me has i think to our entire band truthfully but me personally like we play the least off that record when we play live and stuff like that because uh-huh. me personally, I wasn't prepared for that record. Like, Oh yeah. I was still writing lyrics in the studio, which I will, I vow to never do again. Cause yeah. it's like, you don't get a chance to like go over the phrasing and work on the phrasing and like get, get it all right. So like I didn't have a chance to really like figure out what I for sure wanted to do. So then once you start playing the songs live, I'm like realizing I'm like kind of doing different vocal patterns and changing things up a little bit. I'm like, fuck man, I wish I just had, but that was my fault. You know, one of those things, but I like that record a lot. Thank you. Is there, are you able to, to listen and and to enjoy it? Or is it one of those things where it's like, it's always going to be something that you're yeah unsatisfied by? Yeah. There's like a few things I wish, I wish were different on it. I, I genuinely was so, taken back by like the positive review i was expecting us to eat shit on that record really a little bit yeah just a little bit because i was like we we third records are i I still stand by i think third records are the hardest records to write because first record you get the hype second record you have to like keep that hype alive third record how are you going to keep people interested yeah you know so i felt like i just wasn't in 
as creative of a place or whatever. And it's funny in a fucking dark way, but it's like I jinxed myself because I, I went from this record where I was like, I have nothing to really say right now to then my mom passes. And I was like, oh, right. now I have everything I have to say. Everything yeah, to say. Exactly. So like then that hit me with like, I could, stage four could have been a triple record. I could have kept writing. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, it was. It's sort of sort of my horrible jinx let's let's circle back to that one because i you know in getting ready to this for this and having you come over i'm kind of thinking about this interesting spot that touche is is currently in where um you have you're doing a 10-year anniversary tour of of dead horse did a live record 10 years a thousand shows you you, do you fucking plan that first of all so yeah you show up and it's like, oh, how about this? I got 10 years to the yeah. day and this is our thousandth show. Yeah. Nice that that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> that was, well, that was my OCD to the max. Yeah. Like the the completest idea, the OCD, like everything like that. So like we we were at, because we, on our website, we have a list of every show we've ever played. We we update it every time we play a show. Uh-huh. I update it every time we play a show. And uh we were on tour in Europe and I was looking at the list and I was like, wait a minute, at the end of this tour, we're going to be at like 992. Mm-hmm. Like we, and it's this time of year, like we might be able to line this up. And then I looked at the calendar and I was like, holy shit, that day falls on like a weekend. We have to do this. Like we have to. So I was nervous because I reached out to the internet and I was like, hey, do you, is there anyone that sees shows on this list that should be there? Like, have we forgotten anything? And then right. a couple popped up. That we, there was some that I had missed over the years, <laughs> like in the in like the first year of our band. And I was like, fuck. So that got us to like- Fuck, not- I can't, can't believe I spent all this time without having that on the well, on the website. It's like, it's like I misplaced my freaking seven inch. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, on top of that, like we were like, well, what if we had set up a week show, a week of shows to like even out- or whatever, and then all of a sudden there was like we're already past a thousand. Uh huh. You know that kind of thing. So like, so you just canceled. And, and <laughs> I ended up, we ended up getting to like nine ninety seven, uh-huh. and then we did like a fest on the uh, up in the bay that Anthony from Ceremony put on, and then like two other fill in shows, and then it was like okay, here we are, a thousand show, hometown, all that sort of stuff, and just like it, it was. That's was, amazing. I'm so happy how it worked out, and then yeah. let. Uh, convinced Epitaph to let us do the whole recording it thing mm-hmm. and put it out as a live record. Are you sentimental? Because I mean, yeah. if, if I did if I did anything in my life that worked out like that, I would just just lose it. Yeah, I, I I'm a very sentimental person when it comes to especially when it comes to nostalgia and yeah. and, and all that sort of stuff. Like I I'm very I, there's there's days where I'll just like dwell on it for a second where I'm just like this has just been also unbelievable you know so many different things that yeah, yeah. like I, i've been saying for years like had the band broken up like six years ago i wouldn't be mad about it i'd be like yo i got to go to japan i got to go to all these places i never thought i would see so like everything is just fucking what one of my least favorite questions uh that you know someone an unprepared interviewer might ask is like so is there anything you like you would love to accomplish with the band where i'm just it's just like oh yeah it's, it's just like yeah just scratch that one out <laughs> yeah no, but i'm just like but it's just like there's to ask for anything more is like fucking rude. Yeah, like, there's nothing else I could ask for. You know, it's it's been so fucking unbelievable. That's, I I love that shit. I like hearing that yeah. stuff, and I think that it's um, 
I think it's becoming less of a thing that's frowned upon to share. Mm-hmm. I think we're moving past that part yeah. of, of cultural, like kind of you know ironic. Yeah, like being sentimental is is cool and it's good. Right, right, right. Um, but what what I I wanted to bring up, I guess, and and I think stage four kind of led me to this question too. You're in a position where you've you've been doing something for as long as you have, and I think stage four has to be a hard record to kind of figure out mm-hmm. how do I follow up. Oh, this. tell me about it. Yeah, can, can we talk about yeah, that? Yeah. So we've been we've been writing for a new album for on and off probably a little more than a year. Yeah. Just in between doing things, we'll like get together and and take it a little more seriously in these last few months than like originally before. It was just like let's get together and see what comes out. <coughs> um, but now we're in it and writing, and uh, I'm having a hard time because I'm so in my head about, and I've had I've now had some very helpful conversations with with people that I that are in a position to put me in my place about it where like I was I sat down with Brett Gerwitz at Epitaph and was like was like yeah I'm like having a hard time it's just like and he was like you don't need to one-up that record you'll never you don't have like what is there to write about that is that you even want to like be stronger than that record like you lost a parent like there's nothing you can say that's going to be more impactful than what you went through he was like just do what you did before write about what's on your mind write about yeah. what you're going through you don't feel don't feel like you have to compete with that album. sure but but it does feel you know maybe and maybe this is yeah. the emotion you're you're dealing with is like it would feel kind of strange to have a song about how you know you feel nervous about being right. yourself when right. you've you've already expelled so much emotion in this thing like anything that you're going to follow up with that it might feel a little bit arbitrary right it's it's really hard and like you know i i fucking could write another whole album about that experience but it's like i don't i need to grow i need to be beyond that and i and yeah. and you know, I'm still affected by it. Anyone who loses a parent is affected by it. You know what I'm saying? But like, mm-hmm. I need to move on from that. I need to not have that be the focus of of my entire being at this point. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but yeah, we've been writing for a while, and we, you know, I, I think we have like I could comfortably say probably about like seven songs musically, and I met two songs lyrically. Yeah. And I just finished the second one, you know? Well, it's tough to, because this is an interesting spot for, we talked about The National. They've been doing it for, for so long. long they time, put yeah. out some of their, some amazing material. And this is a spot where it's a little bit tricky because you know that you could go and write a pretty good Touche record and you could do all of the things that you need to do when you make a record. Yeah sell a few pressings of it you can tour off of it yeah and that's i mean it it's just not a thing that i'm it's not something about there's something about you that seems to say that that's not what i would like to do creatively i don't right. want to just make a record to have a record to tour on yeah because i could write i mean anyone could write i could write 
lyrics that fit to the music and then go on tour and it's and that is what it is but like i i need to pour whatever is bother you know whatever like it needs to be it needs to be at least i need to go into this we all need to go into the studio feeling as confident about it as we did stage four because stage four for us so as i mentioned with this revive i we went in like i went in unprepared Mm -hmm. uh so that to us was like let's go with stage four we went into that studio every line was written every part had a thing and we all made sure that everyone loved every part of every song Mm -hmm. no compromise like Whereas, like, it survived by their songs where it's like, eh, he's not that into that guitar part. Eh, he's not into that, you know, like, this part, it, like, it's fine. Yeah. Like, it, it, the song's done. That's how we all felt. Right. So. You worked with Brad on, on both, both of, of them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting that, um, you, what was it, I guess, about working with Brad on Is Survived By, Is Survived By, that made you want to go back for stage four? Because, you know, yeah, is there yes, an aspect of, of like, all right, we don't feel way, we don't feel 100% on this record like let's right. switch things up and do something different. Well, first off, I'll say Brad had uh no he's not responsible for Oh, no, of no, no, course. No, just, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. Like so we didn't feel like oh, because we did this with Brad this happened, mm-hmm. you know. And there are there are songs on that record that we all like a lot, for sure. It's just just exists will always be a staple in the set. Yeah, for sure. Harbor we play a lot. Uh our favorite song as a band is the title track. The song is "Survive By," but we can't ever really play it live because it doesn't translate. Like, right. like it, we were bummed. You need, we were, to, you need to build to that, right? Yeah, it, it's it was a bummer because we were like, "Fuck, man, this like I feel like this is like a culmination of everything Touche does into one song." But it just but it isn't means getting what, the reaction. Yeah, right. It's just uh-huh. not getting the reaction. Oh, damn. That's yeah. too bad. It's, it's tough. We played it at the Thousand Show because we we're like, "Fuck it, like uh-huh. this is for us. This one's for us." Um, and it's like the whole point of that album pretty much tied into that last track. But um, so we we really got along with Brad and and he he lives nearby and he's he's a really encouraging person and he's very, very funny and he's very talented. Um, and for me, he knew my mother. He uh-huh. knew me really well. And for uh, and for me personally, I was like, I feel comfortable doing this with Brad because He's not just a guy who's jumping into this world of being like, okay, this this guy, the singer of this band lost his mom, so we're going to write this, we're going to do this record. Brad had a relationship with my mom, knew my mom. Yeah. And to me, he understood everything we were trying to do. And for me, that meant a lot. Being like, this, I feel like, you know, you could use the term safe space, but being like, yeah, I, like, I feel safe doing all of this with Brad. Because if you're not... A hundred percent, you know, feeling how it's going to come out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just not going to work for exactly the record itself. Exactly, and also like you know, you tr- you do something with someone, and and I'm Brad feels the same way. Where it's like, ah, there's things I wish we could have done differently on his survive by. So now we went in being like, that was the trial run. Now let's fucking make sure we do everything that we didn't do last time on this record. And that's why I think sonically that record stage four sounds so much better than is survive by i love the extra layers that are in there too and you know, the we were down to write a slicker record yeah yeah i'm really glad that you made it that yeah. way um going i guess it with stage four you're a few years removed from it now yeah how do how do you process it as a record within the touche 
catalog. Uh, meaning, like, where do I, like, where would I, I guess, rank it? no, no, I, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you talked about not liking is survived by very much yeah. and obviously feel very positively about stage four, but I guess, you know, we're a few years removed from it. Yeah. I've read every answer that you have about this record and I don't want to ask oh. all of the same questions, oh, right? But, I guess where I'm inter- what I'm interested is, you know, a few years after the fact, you've had time to process it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously the, you know, the real life that went into it, like, I guess, where is it? Where does it all sit for you right now? You're obviously feeling very positive about the fact that you made it. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm so thankful it exists and I'm and I'm unbelievably proud of it. I, it's my favorite thing we've done um, and playing the stuff live feels just natural it just feels it it, in a way (laughs) in a way it sort of just feels like this piece of the healing process in a way so it's like this it's this tangible but not tangible thing that i can that i that i have that i own that that i can use however i want to use it when we tour being like you know because there's Forgive me. Have you played in bands? Do you do? Have you ever done bands before? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What did you do in the bands? Play guitar. Okay. Sang a little bit. Okay. So like, you know what it feels like to be on autopilot. Yeah. There are plenty of nights where I'm on autopilot. I'm not thinking about and and to the, those listeners, by saying autopilot doesn't mean that I'm not in the moment that I'm not caring. Right. I do care. I care every night. But like, the word words the words coming out of my mouth are just the words. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about every line in the moment right it's not the, like you know you the yeah. the breakup song you're not thinking about how how much you miss that person who exactly. broke up with you eight years ago yeah exactly so like but that's not to say that there isn't sometimes nights where it does affect me like we had uh one of the i think the first european tour we did off that record so it was still pretty fresh uh we like played on my mom's birthday and when we played the song water damage i like full-on lost my shit and yeah. like you know had like a little bit of a, a of a breakdown and things like that so like it, it's hit me in different ways or like you know I, i've said this in the past but like you know i might be a little bit on autopilot but i might notice someone in the crowd's reaction to a song and that might open new feelings to me where you can genuinely tell being like okay this person's clearly lost somebody or been yeah. through some shit or mm-hmm. whatever um but yeah like years removed from it i I, i'm so happy it exists i'm happy that it that it really did help me grow and cope and get that out you know um i'll never be over it as most people won't be right of course yeah um but you know i but at the same time with writing a new record i'm ready to move on from it you know like we'll still play all those songs i feel like we're very fortunate in the way where our quote unquote fan base like has really attached themselves to parting the sea and stage four, Yeah, you know? So that's pretty much what our set lists look like these days, you know, Mm -hmm. which I'm fine with. I'm cool with that. I'm so proud of parting the sea. Right. We all still love that record. We still feel really good about that record. So that's Mm -hmm. like nice, you know, cause it was 2011. So, uh, yeah, it'll always, you know, we'll always play, a lot of those songs live and but i'm i'm ready for a new chapter yeah yeah what do you think what do you like obviously we've got time but 
time is starting to mm-hmm. pass. Yeah, we 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 really thought we shit the bed when we took three years between Survive By and Stage Four because attention spans are fucking so limited now. Right. But now we're about to be four years. I can't believe it's been four years since Stage Four came out. Yeah. So. Uh, or it's coming up on, you know, 2020, it'll be four years. So it'll be four years when our new record comes out. Um, but I feel like we've kind of been in everyone's face for these last four years with like the amount of touring we've done and sure. then like the anniversary stuff and then the live album and then put out a song last year called Green, just like a digital single thing. It's like we've tried to be a lot more in our people's faces, whereas between Survive By and Stage 4, I lost my mom and then we kind of went dark for kind of a year where mm-hmm. i was dealing with all of that and then we wrote the record and then appeared and we're like hey look we have a new album and there's a lot of people who are like whoa there's still a band yeah and they're like yeah yeah come, like, come on jerk uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah i you know I, i'm hoping that we still have people's attention when this new one comes out we're trying to you know really just, especially now this year we co- we've now dubbed 20 uh 2019 as the nostalgia year yeah where I mean, granted, we did the the thousand show last year, but like, you know, doing these dead horse shows and stuff like that, like sometimes that's gonna like kind of light a fire. Yeah, it can kind of reinvigorate you, bring you back to a place where things were different and right. So we're in Chicago today, and we're doing the the dead horse show here, and like, uh, I never, I don't think any of us would have ever thought to do this. Uh huh. Right. Like. Because to us, we're like, the record's 19 minutes long. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, like, when people were like, people, internet was coming at us being like, you're going to do a 10-year tour? Yeah. And we're like, do you want us to? It's 19 minutes long. And there was enough people kind of throwing it at us that we were like, fuck it? Sure. Yeah. Like, if you want to pay the money to come, we'll come, we'll do it. Yeah. You know, like, why not? Uh, we felt a little weird about it at first, but like, you know, obviously we're playing uh, uh, another 30 minutes on top of the 20 uh-huh. minutes. So yeah, we play yeah. for about 45 minutes, but like, like, okay, like, we'll, we'll, all right. Um, and then, you know, I, we all kind of collectively felt a little weird. Granted, Tyler and Elliot weren't even in the band on that record. So yeah. like, they're coming along to play this record that they don't really have a personal attachment to in any means. Um, but there were songs on that record that dude we have not played since 2009 2010 you know that i always just never really thought people cared about and then the first night of that tour we played in baltimore and there's a song called swimming with sharks it's song five yeah i think that song is fucking lousy (laughs) but we play it and i was like whoa Uh holy shit people like the whole crowd sang the song and i was like that song yeah it's like and now I kind of love that. Now it has like a whole new life to me. Like, yeah, it, it was, it's been pretty overwhelming to see that happen. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. And, um, so that East coast tour was just a blast and I felt it just, you know, you can't, I mean, you'd be a fucking dork to lie and be like, yeah, it was chill, but it's like, no, it was, it really humbled a lot of us to be like, wow, you don't, when you're, you know, you don't really sometimes you'd be lame to sit around and be like and think about like fucking people love this band. You know, like I would never right. do that. I don't think about that. 
to me it's just like an ongoing thing it's this thing that we do and we we write records and we tour and and whatever but you don't you don't sit around and reflect on how many people like your band it's fucking that'd be some narcissistic dumb shit but to have that moment of like wow people did really connect with this album that i didn't think people really did i thought everyone jumped on with parting the sea yeah i didn't know this record people had an attachment to the way that we now can see that they did so it's been very very overwhelming and really quite cool so when we were like let's so we got asked to do this festival that is now canceled uh-huh in detroit <laughs> this festival called three stacks they're like yo you want to come play this festival and we're like okay and they're like we do dead horse and we said okay and then we were like well we might as well fucking play chicago yeah. play cleveland play toronto like make the most of that trip and then that festival gets canceled lol <laughs> So that's a pretty it, badass show that they were able to put together. Put together yeah, us sidekicks. I'm uh-huh. down. Yeah, fuck yeah, I'm down. It's a nice fucking five man bill. I would stay for that five man bill. Right. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, so it is what it is. It's I'm I'm happy that we're still able to make this all happen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I was mentioned to you before. Uh, we're doing a reissue of the record. Yeah. Right. So every one of our albums, we've done one of those deluxe books. Right. Uh-huh. It's like a hardbound book super in-depth of like everything blah 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 so rightfully so we never did one for to the beat of a dead horse because why would we have we never thought anyone would hear that album besides our friends in la the right thing to do would have been to remix and remaster the record and put it in this book we cannot remix this record because we recorded it with our friend who lost his who lost all the files uh-huh. a year later when his hard drive <laughs> crashed so to the beat of a dead horse can never be remixed Mm-hmm. that's the way it is and yeah. we're like well we want to do this deluxe version but just having a kind of remastered version like isn't that thrilling so let's go re-record it yeah with elliot and tyler on the record playing it at the speed that we play it at let me tell you when those songs have come on on shuffle uh-huh on my ipod or whatever they feel like they're being played at the wrong speed to me it feels like they're being played at you know the record should be at 45 and it's being played at 33 yeah like, i was I, gonna say i, w- I want to hear elliot play it because this 19 <laughs> minute record is probably gonna be about 17 minutes now. 15 and- it's yeah, that, sure, it's, sure. <laughs> it's 17 <laughs> minutes now and i'm so stoked like it has the energy that it had that we have when we play live yeah um we recorded it with our friend zach who recorded this art the song green and then we had kurt blue mix it mm-hmm. so it sounds fucking mean that's badass yeah it sounds mean and uh it's got it's got energy to it and um i'm i'm really excited about it and we understand the blowback that people might be like i don't want to hear it and to, to them i say you don't gotta listen to it don't got to no one's forcing this on you it's only gonna be for right now at least we haven't thought thoroughly about it but like for right now i mean it's only gonna be available in this deluxe book the vinyl version of it the digital will be on spotify for those who want to hear it but the front pocket will have the original record the back pocket will have the re-recorded version it's a 160 page book wow that documents our entire band up until parting the sea i mean it's got it's got the email of trey trying talking to us it's got the email of tyson quitting the band it's got Whoa. it is in depth with <laughs> probably way too much stuff like it's probably a little too 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 much information but you know that if you were a fan i would you would up. oh my god yeah it's got all the screen all the scanned pages of the handwritten lyrics of every single you know like because i still have that notebook because i'm a sentimental fuck uh-huh. so like 
it's got everything. It's got everything in this thing. That's so, amazing. So I'm we're really proud of it. It's been a fucking work and it's been a lot of a lot of work. A lot of work. But uh we're announcing it I think uh in a couple weeks. So That's badass. Yeah. Good way to spend your time too. Yeah. And like the you know, you're gonna make a record. Yeah. It's gonna be great. And you got I I always like getting people over here that have a good energy towards the things that they do mm-hmm. and let that be it. And yeah, I'm, it can come in three years. I don't give a shit. I'm looking forward to it well, whenever it, it comes. Yeah, yeah. We, you're you're the person that we, we hope there's more of because, yeah, it's tough. There's certain bands that are able to not put on an album for 10 years or eight years or seven years and people are just there for it. But they're, you know, it's. I think it's getting harder and harder these days. So I'm still waiting for this Dillinger Four record. But there you yeah. go. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Dude, great talking to you. Thanks I for coming over. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hey, great stuff. I was so looking forward to talking to jeremy not only to have him here on this show but also to get a snapshot of this moment for him and touche putting together that next move and finding the right way to go forward it's not a common spot for a band to be in and of course the particulars are unique and i'm glad that we dove in the way that we did great having jeremy over want to send extra love his way he and his partner had to say goodbye to a pup this weekend. Jay and I were lucky to hear stories about Marianne when Jeremy was over, and she sounded like a very special girl. Sending love from me, Jay, Chloe, and Lily. The thought of this is just fucking fucking me up right now. I'm sorry. Uh, check out Touche online. ToucheAmore.bandcamp.com, ToucheAmore.com. Pre-orders for the To the Beat of a Dead Horse reissue are up now. These things are stunning. If you're listening on the day that this posts, you get on that today and you can receive a handwritten lyric sheet for Honest Sleep or the original drawing from the album cover. Also... Hesitation Wounds, who we didn't even get to because we ran out of time. Hesitation Wounds, which features Jeremy along with Thomas from Gouge Away and Niraj from Hope Conspiracy and Suicide File. I bothered the hell out of that guy as a drunk 19-year-old. Dude, you were in the Suicide File. Hesitation Wounds has a new record coming out next month called Chicanery. Pre-orders are available at hesitation dash wounds.bandcamp.com subscribe to this podcast on apple podcast stitcher rate it write a review all of god's money our compilation in tribute to wilco's yankee hotel foxtrot is available on our bandcamp better yet podcast.bandcamp.com proceeds for that go to the aids foundation of chicago also on that Bandcamp, every episode of this podcast. You can also find every episode on our website, betteryetpod.com. Patreon is patreon.com slash podcast. I took Jeremy's point about third albums and ran with it. There is a playlist over there based 
on that part of the conversation, postcards, coffee, and more. Patreon.com slash Better Yet Podcast. And thank you so much. Thank you, Chloe and Lily. Thanks to Jeremy, Elliot Babin, and David Anthony. No so long, Marion. That would be overkill here, but a song from the very good third record. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks, Bubbles. I stepped into an avalanche It covered up my soul When I am not this hunchback that you see I sleep beneath a golden hill You who wish to conquer pain You must learn, learn to serve me But I can 
on our tour And don't love me quite so fiercely now When you know that you are not sure It is your turn, beloved It is your flesh that I wear 